This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to this second webinar on market impacts of the COVID pandemic. I'm Karsten, and I will moderate this discussion for the next 30 minutes. Um, so today we're excited to feature Kanishka Misra. Kaniska is a professor of marketing and business analytics here at the Rady School. He's going to talk about some research he's done on the effects of tax rebates on consumer behavior. And uh, if you have questions for Kanishka, if you think of things you'd like to ask him during the presentation, let's just send them to me in the chat. Um, I'll try to get to them. If we don't have time, uh, it's not personal, um, but Kanishka has volunteered to uh, be okay with you emailing him with questions if we don't get to them uh, during the talk. But with that, I will yield the floor to Kanishka. Thank you so much, Carson, and uh, thank you everyone for coming for this webinar. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about tax rebates or these tax stimulus checks that governments send to try and stimulate the economy. Before jumping into uh, the sort of explicit tax rebates, I wanted to give some background as to why governments consider tax rebates or stimulus, uh, stimulus payments to try and sort of ignite or stimulate economies. So I'm going to start with some data uh, which was released. Uh, so this is fresh as of yesterday. This was released by uh, the Department of Commerce. Um, this looks at, these data include sort of personal consumer expenditures. So personal consumer expenditures include all forms of expenditures that uh, U.S. households make. Uh, and this forms a majority, so about 70% of U.S. GDP. Um, what this chart shows is the growth rates of consumers' expenditure over, uh, over quarters for the last two years. And what we see is in the most recent data, there is a sharp decline in consumer expenditure. So this, would, this is, does correspond to a 2% quarter over quarter decrease. Uh, if we look at the monthly data, it, the monthly data in March is the biggest decrease we've ever seen, which is a 7.5% decrease in consumer expenditure. And with this, we do see a resultant decrease in the GDP for the first quarter of 2020. Uh, to, to sort of break this down a little bit further to understand where these differences in consumer expenditures are coming, the uh, the, the U.S. government splits consumer expenditures into three different categories. The first is services. So these services include any expenditure that doesn't result in a tangible product or tangible to physical good. So uh, the, again, if we see the services, that's the chart on the top right. We see a quarter over quarter decline in the first quarter of 2020, where the biggest decreases in where consumers are spending is in health, transportation, and recreation. Uh, and again, the, some, some of this could be from closures, from inability to spend, but some of it could also be from 
uh, from just lack of consumer confidence. The second big category is durable goods. So these are physical goods you purchase, but have a life expected lifetime of more than three years. And again, we've seen a very large decrease in consumer expenditures for durable goods, a 4% decrease in the first quarter of 2020, with the biggest decreases coming in the categories of new vehicle purchases and home furnishings. And the third category that can the, the, uh, the government looks at is non-durable goods. So these are goods that have a lifetime of less than three years. Uh, here, you actually see an increase in spend, and some, well, some of the increase is driven by a category called food at home. So with more people staying at home, the consumption and expenditure of food at home has actually gone up. But in other areas, we see a decrease, especially in, uh, in consumption or expenditures of categories like apparel and clothing. So with all these decreases, uh, the idea of tax rebates are to try and increase consumer confidence and income to try and uh, ensure consumers are spending in some of these categories to therefore try and stimulate the economy. There are three big examples of this in the, in the recent past. So the first one was in 2001 with, the, uh, with sort of the first economic downturn uh, in the 21st century, where the government, uh, under the Bush administration, passed a uh, tax relief act, which sent checks of $300 uh, to every single uh, U.S. household and $600 to every sort of joint filer of taxes. And again, this was sent to all uh, all. Uh, individuals or households that filed taxes in, uh, in, with the IRS. The second big, uh, big tax rebate program we saw was in 2008, which is again under the Bush administration, it was passed as the Economic Stimulus Act. Uh, these were tax rebate checks of $600 um, for every individual or $1,200 for every joint household. But here they introduced a maximum limit. So if your uh, household income was over a threshold, you didn't get these checks. And uh, last month, we saw a, another example of this with the COVID Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, or called the CARES Act, which is sending out checks of between $1,200 and $2,400. Now, the, the, uh, the number of people getting these checks are quite wide. This is, again, I want to be very clear, this is different from unemployment. These are, ch are one-time checks to try and stimulate the economy. Uh, the sizes of these checks, uh, again, for 2020, are sent to all U.S. households uh, who meet an income threshold. And the income threshold uh, here is... Uh, is, is, is it's actually quite high. So if you're a married couple with two children, the income threshold to receive a stimulus payment is uh, $217,000. And the economic rationale is to provide a stimulus to increase economic activity. And it's part of the government's larger counter-cyclical fiscal policy. 
Uh, we don't have data for 2020, but what, what I'm going to present is some, uh, some evidence from the 2001 and the 2008 tax rebates and particularly ask the questions of who spent the tax rebates and what was the overall impact of the economy. And then we can speculate a little bit about what we expect to happen for 2020. Uh, the data I'm going to use for today's talk is the Consumer Expenditure Survey. Uh, this is a survey just like the census, which tries to track consumer expenditure across U.S. households. So it has a representative sample of U.S. households. So these, these are used for a bunch of economic indicators like cost price indices. The important part is these are all publicly available. So if anyone has interest in studying any, anything that I'm talking about uh, here, this is all public, publicly available data uh, directly from, uh, from the Department of Commerce. Um, when studying the tax rebates, one of the, uh, one of the sort of aspects of how tax rebate checks are distributed, and this is particularly true for 2001 and 2008, the timing of when you got your tax rebate was based on your social security number. So particularly, they, they, they spaced out the spending of, the sending of these tax rebates over a quarter. And based on the second last digit of your social security number, uh, you will assign sort of the time you got your tax rebate. The, this is great from sort of an econometric point of view or analyzing the data point of view, because now we could have a person receiving a tax rebate and their neighbor receiving a tax rebate two months later. And so this can help us sort of think of economic trends in the market as opposed to explicit impacts of tax rebates. The other sort of key element that I want to emphasize here is this idea of how we try and model the impact of tax rebates. The quote I have here is from, uh, uh, from James Heckman, who won the Nobel Prize in Economics for the design and estimation of, of of, uh, of policies. And the key point here is that when we try and estimate the impact of a public policy, it's important to understand how different consumers react to this public policy. And then we can aggregate across all these consumers to, uh, it, to then figure out what the aggregate impact of, of the policy was. And so th this sort of changed the trend, which used to be the case for uh, understanding economic policy is taking sort of a representative consumer and just multiplying that for everyone else. The key point that Heckman made and, and, and what we are going to use in our analysis is that people are different and we have to account for these differences when we try and consider the impact of tax rebates. All right, so let's jump to what we found. What we found is that there are large differences in how consumers uh, change spending with, with receiving these tax rebate checks. And what we found is about 40 to 50% of consumers who receive these or individuals who receive these tax rebates had absolutely no change in their consumption behavior. So if you think of sort of what's happening here and why this is happening, uh, if I receive a tax rebate check, say I receive a check of $1,200 and put that money straight in my bank account, but do not have any change in how I, uh, how I spend, 
then in some sense that rebate check didn't really stimulate the economy, but, and there was no sort of change in my aggregate consumption behavior. Uh, this is sort of consistent with the idea that I'm not really liquidity constrained, that I don't need this $1,200 just to spend on my essentials. Another sort of exact economic policy, economic sort of argument for this is I get this check of $1,200 and just pay my mortgage. And I put it against sort of a fixed cost without increasing consumption. And we actually see sort of majority of consumers do or majority of households do exactly that. We then find about 30% of these households which spend some of the tax rebate, but not all of it. So the idea here could be that if I need some amount of money to meet my liquidity constraint, then I spend that amount of the tax rebate and then save the rest. And then what we found is about 15 or 20% of households actually spend all of the rebate monies that they get. So they get a $1,200 check, and they increase their consumption by $1,200. In terms of the categories where consumers have the largest variation, it is the exact categories that we're seeing in 2020 that had a large decrease in spend. It is in transportation, it is in health, it is in apparel, and it is entertainment. And again, you can think of when I have credit constraints, these might be categories where I reduce my expenditure. But if the government gives me a check, I can perhaps try and spend in these categories that I do, I do want to. And that's what we found with, with these 2001 and 2008 tax rebates. To understand these differences a little bit more, we looked at demographics of, uh, of households that differed in their spend. And what we find is lower income households uh, that tend to rent are uh, these households that spend some, but not all of their tax rebate. So uh, depicted by these orange color here. And again, the intuition there is these are households that are more likely to be credit constrained. And if they're credit constrained, this extra money from the government can help them alleviate some of these constraints and uh, uh, satisfy their, their expenditure needs. For higher income households, we saw, we found sort of an, uh, that they're on both extremes of the distribution, where we find some higher income households spend none of the rebate and some higher income households spend all of the rebate. And again, the, the White House wrote, uh, wrote sort of a white paper of understanding sort of the impact of these tax rebates, and they describe this as sort of a complicated consumer behavior. Uh, the, the economic rationale here is, is actually twofold. One is this idea of wealthy hand-to-mouth individuals, households, where we can think of consumers or individuals with high incomes, but still have very high expenditure, so they still live hand-to-mouth. Uh, other surveys that have found that have looked at uh, sort of liquidity of high income households suggest that uh, as many as sort of seven percent of households in the top quartile of u s income live hand to mouth without two months of savings in case of some some sort of extreme outcomes like losing your job. So some of, some, some of these high-income households could, so could be these wealthy hand-to-mouth. The other behavioral explanation could be quite simply that 
I see a $1,200 check that I wasn't expecting. I see this as the windfall uh, income and I go out and spend this extra, extra money that I wasn't initially planning on getting. So this, this sort of non-linear or non-monotonic behavior of income leads to one of the biggest conundrums in distribution of tax rebate checks. Because the government wants to send these tax rebate checks to, to individuals or, uh, where, or households where they're most likely to spend. But from high-income households, you don't know if they're going to spend all or spend nothing. The conundrum is that you really want a measure of liquid assets, but the IRS doesn't have a good measure of liquid assets. They only have a measure of income. And, and, and again, this is why you see sort of the government's particularly and consistently, consistently using income measures to figure out sort of who should get the tax rebates. When we aggregate across all our consumers, we see that um, the, sort of the key measure that, that economists look at for uh, sort of large government interventions like tax rebates is a metric called marginal propensity to consume. The idea here is if I give you $1 of extra income or $1 of tax rebate, what percentage of that $1 would you spend? So how many cents would you spend? What we found in these 2001 tax rebates, which were $600 for a family, the marginal propensity to consume was about 40%. And for the 2008 tax rebates, uh, which were again, about $1,200, the marginal propensity to consume was about 20%. So while these numbers look quite low, they actually represent a very large part of the economy. So in our estimates, we, we suggest that the tax rebates just in itself boosted the U.S. economy by about $17 billion. In terms of uh, GDP, in, two, in the second half of 2001, this represents uh, like 0.6%. Uh, more than a point, uh, more than half a percent of GDP, and almost a one percent change in total consumption. And the second half of, of 2008, where uh, where the recession was hitting America, this these tax rebates did actually have a very large 0.5 or 0.4 percent impact in GDP. Again, with these these tax rebates are part of a larger sort of counter cyclical fiscal policy policy of the U.S. government. Uh, overall, the Obama administration estimated their implicate their uh, sort of tax rebates and uh, and other sort of uh, counter cyclical policy increased GDP by about two percent. So, if you think of sort of tax rebates, tax rebates are about a quarter effect of all the other fiscal policies that the U.S. government does. Again, uh, I wanted to give you sort of a quick summary of this. If you do want sort of further details of this paper or our analyses, then uh, the full paper is published. And uh, again, the data for this is completely public. So you can look at the, at the data we used to, to do our calculations, or you can sort of send me an email if you have some more specific questions. Okay, thanks, Kanish. That was extremely interesting. We have already received uh, some questions from the audience. Um, so I'm just going to dive straight into that. Um, so James asks, um, 
you know, so you find around half of households. So this was, I believe was for the 2008 case, about half of households um, don't actually spend anything. They just uh, boost their savings. So um, at scale, this must mean that there's a big inflow of capital to banks and other credit institutions. So, so what might be the sort of general equilibrium impacts of that? So, th- okay, that's, that's actually a very, that's a, a tougher question to try and answer. And it is something that we are seeing now as well. So I showed you the data for Q1, uh, Q1 2020 in terms of personal, uh, personal consumption. If you look at the Q1 2020 personal savings, that's also at a record high level. So where consumers are saving more because there's uncertainty about the about the future uh, the future sort of economic outlook. So in terms of, of cash flow coming into banks, this must result in a a sort of larger increase in cash in banks. And again, this number could be pretty large, right? So this number is half of all the money that's going into that the that the U.S. government is pumping into. Uh, are trying to simulate the economy. Okay. Uh, we also have a very interesting question from uh, Nicholas who asks, um, d- does your research in these issues have any implications for what might happen if one were to implement universal basic income? So no, I, I, that would be a great question to try and answer with these data. The, the issue with trying to answer the, answer a universal basic income question is we only see consumer responses. So in, in, in our data, it's only 2001 and 2008 during a recession. So we see that during a recession, there was a change in, um, there was a, with these sort of stimulus checks, there was a change in consumption. The question then is, what if, the, what if consumers are not credit constrained and what, if, what can we say about what would have happened if we set these checks in 2017? And the answer is we just don't have the data. And we just don't have the data to understand consumer responses. My belief and my expectation is it would be quite different to what we see in these data, but we just don't, again, we don't have that. We don't have sort of the right metric to try and tease that out. Okay, so we also have a question from Gary who asks about um, effects, like spatial effects, so across different geographies. Um, These effects would vary across like zip codes or states or counties, stuff like that. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And uh, actually one we tried to find with, uh, with the consumer expenditure survey data one of, the, one of the issues with consumer expenditure survey is the only geographies that we observe in our data are geographies that are limited by regions, so regions of the U.S., not sort of finer than that. Uh, the best answer to that was actually a paper written by the federal, uh, the, the, the federal, uh, it was, or I, 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 it was, it was a Agarwal et al. paper uh, by, by Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, what they did is they looked at credit card spending data. So their data is individual credit card uh, holders. And what they found is 
there is a geographic, there are geographic differences. It's mainly, again, their, their biggest finding, which was sort of different to, different to sort of these kinds of data, is they can look at credit constraint customers by having more credit card uh, or credit limit type information. So their sort of geographic applications were more sort of these urban areas where you have larger, credit, uh, larger sets of consumers with more credit constraints. There you found sort of larger impacts of these tax rebates. Um, so it, it is, you do see these really interesting sort of differences across, across geographies driven by demographics of consumers who live in different parts of the US. Um, so we also have a question from um, Lev, who actually asked something that I thought about myself during your, during your talk. And so what's, how should we think about the overall goal of, the, of these tax rebates as coming up uh, in 2020? Yeah. Um, is the goal to stimulate the economy is the goal to help households in need. Uh, Lev commented that maybe the goal is to suppress activities or to you know, make sure people don't have to work, they can stay locked up in their house. Um, how should we think about these current tax rebates? Um, I mean, I suppose ideally yeah. helping households in need also stimulate the economy, but that's not entirely clear that that's how it works. Sure. So I, I think that I, so so the 2020 is different to uh, 2001, 2008 in the fact that these aren't I mean, these weren't initiated by an economic downturn. These were initiated by a lockdown, which then resulted in sort of an economic downturn. So the overall stated objective is a couple. One is to increase consumer confidence. So, so one of the one of the factors that that the the Department of Commerce looks at is stated consumer confidence in in the economy and therefore sort of being able to spend. So the at least survey results are so far suggesting that consumers are not spending because they don't really know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, this does help stimulate the economy in the sense of. If you have more confidence, you're more likely to spend. And if you're more likely to spend, you sort of keep this consumption going on. These, at least in the stated uh, bill that was passed in Congress, this was not explicitly to account for the fact people are not working. There, they explicitly accounted for a different part of this bill that accounts for unemployment and other benefits for people who cannot go to the cannot go and sort of into the office and be part of the workforce. So, so I guess we can say the key point is to try and encourage some sort of consumption or some sort of expenditure or belief in expenditure. The hard part is the um, they are sort of written as a sort of one-time check. So consumers might get this check, but if they don't have confidence about what's going to happen tomorrow, every consumer has sort of an incentive to try and save this check. So I don't know what, what the economy is going to look like tomorrow. And that's going to lead to some uncertainty of how consumers truly spend this. Uh, if, if, if you can see these lockdowns in every single uh, state, there was a stated end date and the end date keeps moving. And if the end date keeps moving, then uh, then like the, it is not going to add to consumer confidence. So at least the one part of that question I can answer that 
for not working or not being able to part of the workforce in the stated bill, that's not one of the objectives. Okay, so I'm getting increasingly focused on time here. Um, maybe we can just cover one last question. Uh, so there's a question from Carmen, um, which I'll also ask a follow-up question to that. So Carmen asks, um, you know, do you think the uh, stimulus would create higher consumption if it was based on liquidity rather than income? And I think you hinted at yes. doing your talk that yes, it probably would. Yeah. My follow-up question is, can you think of ways in which we might actually be able to do that, to target based on liquidity rather than just income? Yeah, so I, I think all the data suggests the answer to the first question is absolutely yes, right? So if you look at our data, if you look at other, other data, it's directly related to consumers who are more liquidity constrained. Uh, the way the, the unfortunate part is getting a good access to liquidity data. The, uh, and the answer to that is a lot more tricky. So I can, I can tell you what researchers have done, and I can also sort of point out why this is impossible for governments to do. What researchers have done to, accept, uh, to assess liquidity uh, is ask survey-type questions of the sort. If you lose your job today, can you maintain your level of expenditure for two more months? Right? That is the explicit question. And if people say yes to that, then they're not liquidity constrained. If people say no to that, they are liquidity constrained. Right? So clearly the government can, the IRS can never ask that question because consumers will never give sort of potentially right answers to that. The second way researchers have looked at liquidity is using data such as credit card data, which, uh, which again, the IRS does not have access to and cannot ask for. So it is... It is the right answer, but the problem is getting for the government to get that right answer is very hard. Uh, so what they are using is income, which is a proxy, but not a perfect proxy. And, and that's why all these laws, again, the three times we've seen these acts passed are based on income and, and do include sort of relatively high income. If you think of the 2020 tax rebates, again, if your household income for a household of two with uh, sorry, uh, a married couple with two kids, the cutoff is $217,000, which represents the 92nd percentile of U.S. income. Right? So it's actually a very high threshold uh, to qualify for these tax rebates. Okay, so... Um... I think we should probably stop here. Um, this was fantastic, Kanishka. Thank you for doing this. And as a, a good success metric, I've looked at the number of participants. It has not decreased during, <laughs> during our webinar, so that's always happy to see. Um, I'm sorry if I didn't get to all the questions that you guys sent in, but I am volunteering Kanishka to uh, <laughs> uh, be able to receive emails from you. Uh, his email is on the screen there. So if you have any follow-up questions that we didn't get to cover, uh, feel free to email Kanishka. And otherwise, um, thanks a lot for sitting in and um, stay healthy. Thank you very much, Carson. And right. yes, please do feel free to send me an email. If you, if Thank you. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.